You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. So glad you're here at Bayshore today. What a great crowd. We're just so glad to see everybody. And uh, hey, Art and Rhonda are back today. Good to see you guys. So good to have everybody with us today. We're so glad you're with us. We're grateful for you being a part of this weekend service. So we're just so excited about this weekend. What a great job the band did today. I'm a big Corey fan and the whole group. They did such a great job. We love these guys. Hey, I want to say hello to the Fenwick Island campus right now. And everybody give them a big hand. Thank you for our Fenwick Island campus. Pastor Jeremy and Reagan, rock stars, and we just love those guys so much and everything that's happening in Fenwick Island. So we want to welcome everybody that's watching online. I had a great uh, email this week from Natalie uh, Chabot, who is uh, uh, one that watches us online regularly, her and her husband, Mike. And uh, they sent me this wonderful email, and they said, we really, really love the uh, Tough Times Don't Last series. It really, really helped us a whole lot. And uh, she said that her and Mike had gone through some really tough times, their family, a whole bunch of stuff happening the last couple of years. So the Tough Times series really, really helped them. And she went on to say, hey, by the way, you did our wedding 18 years ago, and you're continuing to be part of our life. We watch online all the time. And she said, we are still madly in love and are like newlyweds. So happy anniversary. They had their anniversary in uh, March 2nd, and they've been married for 18 years. So that's really a cool story. So uh, listen, today we're finishing up our series called Love Rules, and we've been looking through, kind of walking through uh, the chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, one of the greatest, perhaps the best thing ever written on love in the entire Bible and maybe all of literature. And it's an incredible, incredible chapter about what love is. 15 virtues, uh, things, seven uh, virtues, what love is not, and then eight virtues of what love is. So Paul develops this idea of what love is. And so last week we talked about love is not selfish, love is not easily angered and all of that. We talked about that. And we were in 1 Corinthians 13, 5 last week, and there was one phrase that we didn't finish, and that is what we're going to finish the series with today, and that is love keeps no record of wrongs. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Uh, It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. We covered all that last time. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, to me, this is the perfect way to end the series because uh, that virtue, it keeps no record of wrongs, is, in my opinion, the greatest virtue of what love is. Love does not ruminate or think about the offenses that somebody has committed against us. Love is not uh, fixated on the mistakes of other people. Different translations say it different ways. It says, the King James, uh, which I was raised on the King James, it says, it thinketh no evil. So it's not constantly thinking about something bad that a person did to you. Uh, Love does not think evil. Uh, Other ways it said it takes no account of a wrong suffered. That is the New American Standard Bible. And uh, I love what the message says. Um, The message translation says, does not keep score of the sins of others. Does not keep score 
of the sins of others. So that's what love is. Now, the word uh, where it talks about love keeps no record wrong is the word logiz- logizomai in the Greek. And what it's an accounting term. It's an accounting term. It's, it's like uh, keeping inventory. It means to sort of like uh, uh, write down something as a record. So it says that love does not keep an inventory or a list of sins against itself. So when somebody sinned against you, when somebody has treated you uh, poorly, you don't keep it in a ledger and you don't keep it sort of in your mind. And uh, you kind of let it go and you forgive it and it is no longer a part of your consciousness. So that's an important thing to remember. Maybe you've had an argument with your spouse sometime and you know you bring up something that they did in 1984 you know you just pull it out and uh, sometimes you know that's what happens in conflict and relationships we have all this stuff stored up inside that we're thinking about that has happened and we uh, kind of put that forward in a negative way so love keeps no record of wrongs so when I think about it I think about you know when you think about relationships when you look at somebody that you've had a conflict with Do you look at them and do you see a post-it on their forehead? Something that they did. Maybe you have a post-it on their forehead that says, you failed me. And I know this looks a little silly, but you can sometimes look at a person and you've got a post-it on their forehead and you see that word about them. Maybe it's not failed me. Maybe it's hurt me. They've hurt me. And you look at that and that's how you see that person. Or maybe uh, betrayed me. They betrayed me. Or maybe it's just something to do with anger when they were angry with you. So when you look at a person, do you see a post-it on their forehead of what they did to you? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not keep an inventory of wrongs that have been suffered against oneself. Now, I like to watch Seinfeld, and uh, before I talk any more about Seinfeld, just let me say that I, you know, I don't agree with all the values on Seinfeld, and I don't agree, you know, pretty promiscuous bunch, that group, but, um, but I do like to watch Seinfeld, and I, I enjoy the humor in it. I like Kramer. I like the whole thing, and, uh, and there's one episode in Seinfeld. In fact, Karen and I watch uh, Seinfeld on Hulu, so uh, sometimes that's kind of what we do before we go to bed. You know, I want something light before I go to bed, and I don't want anything too heavy. So, you know, I kind of like, I, we've seen them so much, the nine series, we can, the nine seasons, we can kind of like, we can quote them all. And uh, so there's one episode called The Red Dot. And the Red Dot episode is where uh, George Costanza, how many know who George Costanza is? You know, everybody knows who George Costanza is. And he's a little tight. Uh, doesn't like to spend any money. He's, most of the time, he's unemployed uh, on the show. And uh, there's this one episode where Elaine has helped him get a job. And because Elaine has helped him get him a job, Christmas is coming up. He wants to buy her something for Christmas. And he's in a store with Jerry, and he finds a cashmere, a white cashmere sweater. And uh, it is usually $600, but it's on sale for $80. So he buys the, uh, the cashmere sweater, and he talks to the sales lady, and he says, why is it marked down from $600 to $80? And she said, because it has a little red dot on it. And she shows him the red dot. And he holds it up to Jerry, and he says, Jerry, what do you see? And Jerry says, I see a miser trying to get away with something. And so uh, anyhow, he buys the sweater, the cashmere sweater, and he gives it to Elaine. And then Kramer's in the apartment when he gives the, uh, the cashmere sweater to Elaine. And Kramer has been drinking a little bit. Kramer looks and said, what about that red dot? 
And so for the rest of the show, it's all about this sweater where they're focused on the red dot on the sweater. And it's just a hilarious thing. George is trying to unload this cashmere sweater on people, and everybody sees the red dot. And in relationships, it's very possible for us to go through relationships and we see the red dot. We see what somebody has done against us, and we look at them in a way that's very, very negative. And the Bible says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is, has the capacity to completely forgive somebody and not see them in that context anymore. Now, what I love about that is that's how God treats me. God treats me in a way that if I have sinned against the Lord and I've made some type of mistake or failure in my life, the Lord does not constantly be bringing that up to me. In fact, if you confess a sin to the Lord and you ask the Lord to forgive you of a sin and you, you hear in your head about that two days later, that's not coming from the Lord. That's not conviction. That's the devil trying to condemn you because the Bible says that love does not keep any record of wrongs. And here's what I think. I think uh, when we think about the capacity of love to forgive us and to cleanse us, we have this incredible capacity to see God's love expressed to us, God's love completely forgiving us, God's love completely casting our sin in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, he takes our sin away from us. And if God does that for me, if God cleanses me of my sins, if God forgives me my failure, then I am called by God to extend that grace to other people. And so not, not seeing people in a negative way. So I was thinking about about this and how we're doing in our culture. And I thought about this whole idea of uh, the, count, the uh, uh, cancel culture. Have you heard about cancel culture? Where if somebody says something that's uh, not, not politically correct, or if somebody says something that's, that's, that's all based a little bit, that there's this, this media bullying that seeks to cancel them out so that they, their career is ruined and everything is uh, you know, deleted. They lose their, their prestige. They lose their reputation. They lose everything, and they are canceled out of the culture. So cancel culture. It's an interesting thing, and I, I thought about that. I've been watching this as it's unfolding uh, in our culture. And here's one of the things I think. I think we need to be very careful what we say. I think we need to honor people of different uh, races and nationalities and different backgrounds. We need to be, uh, the Bible says, let your gentleness be known to all. But this idea of canceling people is the antithesis of what the gospel is. You know, God doesn't cancel people. God cancels sins. God doesn't cancel individuals. He cancels failures. God is a God who doesn't cancel individuals. God is a God who gives grace and forgives us, and he does not keep a record of wrongs. And I don't believe it's possible to have a society of love, a society of peace, by using instruments of hate and punishment. Now, that's what I believe about that. And I was thinking about that. You know, here's what I think is wrong about that. What I think is wrong about that is it does not take into account the possibility of people changing. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that human beings can change. I believe that values can change. I believe that views can change. I believe that individuals can change. I look at my life and what kind of husband I was, what kind of man I was 
uh, 35 years ago, and you know, I was young, a young married guy, and I was not very smart, and I was insensitive, and I was hyper to criticism, and my wife and I, Karen and I, we had all this conflict the first year we were married. It wasn't the worst year of our marriage. It was the worst year of our life. We had a horrible time when we got married. And over the years, the Holy Spirit has changed us, and He's changed me mostly because it was mostly my stuff. And I have seen firsthand, exhibit A, God changing me, and God can change people. Cancel culture says that's what you are, that's what you're going to be, and that is it. And I believe that that's the antithesis of the gospel, because love keeps no record of wrongs. Say it with me. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, there's a great story in the book of Acts where Peter... Uh, the Apostle Peter, that guy that followed Jesus, one of his key apostles, he's in a place called Joppa, which is on the seashore, and he's on the roof one day. It's almost lunchtime, and he went up there to pray a little bit. He's on the roof, and while he's on the roof, he has a vision. He has a, a, a revelation from the Lord, and he sees a sheet, a sheet being come, brought down from heaven, and it's filled with all kinds of unclean animals. And the sheet comes down, and then he hears the Lord say, the Lord says, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, not so, Lord. I've never uh, eaten anything unclean. Not so, Lord, which is uh, an oxymoron. You can never say, not so, Lord. You can never say, no, and Lord. It's always yes and Lord. But he said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. Now, what the vision was about it wasn't about food, and it wasn't about unclean food. It was about his attitude toward Gentiles, that he did not, uh, he had a prejudice against Gentiles. He didn't love Gentiles. He looked, he, he was a Jewish man, and he looked like he was superior down on uh, Gentile people. He felt he was superior to them. And so he had the vision three times, the same vision, sheet down from heaven, unclean animals, Peter, kill and eat. Unse uh, the, uh, the sheet with unclean animals, Peter, kill and eat. Why three times? Why three times? Well, it's because God was dealing with Peter. Listen to this. It takes a while for people to change. It takes a while for people to get it. And God kept dealing with Peter over and over again because God did not cancel Peter because he had a prejudicial attitude. God did not eliminate Peter because he had a bad attitude, God worked with Peter and transformed him. And what we need is not to cancel people, but what we need is to let the Holy Spirit transform our paradigms and change us in how we think. Can you say a big amen? And then Peter, you know, there's three men that show up from uh, Caesarea, which is another city not too far from where he was. And they were Gentiles, and they, the Lord had been dealing with them. And they take Peter to Caesarea, and he preaches for the first time to a room full of Gentiles, no Jewish people there. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls, and they're filled with the Spirit of God, and the Lord changes them, and the power of God comes upon them. And when they first meet Peter, here's what Peter says in, in Acts 10.34. Acts 10.34 uh, shows where Peter was transformed in his thinking. Acts 10.34 says that he says, I now realize, I now realize that God does not show the respect toward a certain group of people. 
I now realize. And so there's this incredible transformation in Peter. Listen to this. People can change. If people can't change, then I would not be a pastor and I would not even go to church, but I believe that the Holy Spirit can change people. And so therefore we can have hope and love should keep no record wrongs because people are not frozen in time, but people can change. Do you believe people can change? Have you seen yourself change? I believe that people can change. And for me, uh, for instance, uh, I have to admit that I have some prejudice in me. And uh, my prejudice has nothing to do with, uh, with races. I love people of every race, I feel. My prejudice is I have a prejudice against pickleball players. You know, that's me. <laughs> I'm a tennis player, and all has taken over the world. I know it's taken over the world. It's got me really upset. And I know people at our Fenwick Island campus, you guys are play, you play pickleball. People here play pickleball probably. And uh, so on Monday night, I play tennis at the tennis club. And there's about 20 pickleball players next to me. And they're making all this noise. And they're laughing. They're having a good time. And I just have to admit, for a long time, I've had this attitude toward pickleball players. And, you know, hey, why don't they play a real sport, you know? Why don't they get, you know, they're like, the court's that big, you know? It's like playing ping pong, you know? Why don't you do something? And I'm thinking that. And I watch these people, been watching them. And one night, this lady came over, you know, they've been really nice to us tennis players. And one, one night, this lady came over, and she had a, she had a plate full of, uh, of cupcakes that they had there for the people playing pickleball. And they offered my friend John and I cupcakes, and you know, instead of being grat- grateful, my thought was, what kind of sport is it? You can play sport and you eat cupcakes at the same time. <laughs> but you know what? You know, my heart has changed toward pickleball players. I had knee surgery, so I'm starting to think a little bit more about pickleball. <laughs> and I found out these pickleball people are just really nice people. They're good people. You know, God can change everybody's heart. You don't have to cancel somebody out. You don't have to eliminate somebody. God is not in the business of eliminating people. God is not in the business of canceling people. God is not in the business of uh, getting rid of people. God is in the business of taking people that have wrong paradigms. And he's in the business of taking people that need to have their views adjusted. And the Holy Spirit can change them. Like he changed Peter. Now, he didn't say, Peter, you're out of here. You're out of here. You don't, you don't love Gentiles. You don't care about Gentiles. It's over for you. You are done. God took Peter and worked in his thinking. And one of the things we need to see in America is instead of eliminating each other, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us, and we need to help each other as we make mistakes and as we grow in our thinking because the Holy Spirit is about the business of transforming people, transforming our minds, transforming our attitudes, and making us different people. You cannot change culture. You cannot change culture with a punitive, punishing attitude. The Bible says, uh, perfect love cast out fear. He says, fear has to do with punishment. Where you punish people, you produce fear, but it says perfect love cast out fear. Say it with me. Perfect love cast out fear. So an incredible principle there. As I watch what's happening in our world, that's one of the things that keeps happening in my heart is I want the Lord to transform my heart. And before you know it, I'm going to be having my arms around pickleball players and I'm going to be loving them and uh, doing what I need to do. Not sure I'm going to be playing pickleball, but anyhow, I, I'm just grateful for, for the, the Lord changing my heart on that. So let, let me just talk about that just a little bit. Let me just talk about this idea of when you think about uh, 
relationships with people, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, that doesn't mean if you're with an abusive person or if you're with a, a dysfunctional person that's, that's uh, not treating you right and that's dysfunctional and it's, it's dangerous and that person's crazy, you don't stay in the same environment with that person. You know, run, Forrest, run. That's my, my prediction on that, what you need to do. Get away from dysfunctional people, people that are painful, but, but in your attitude toward them and your attitude toward normal, sort of normal relationships with normal stuff, you want to make sure that you keep no record of wrongs. Now, here's the thing. Everybody in their heart has a, a jail. There's a cage in your heart. And uh, in your cage, in your heart, you have this jail. And when you haven't forgiven somebody and you have, you're keeping a record of wrongs, you have somebody in that jail cell in your heart. Uh, last night, I took a walk. You know, I walked down uh, the, my road after I got done my, my Saturday chores, and uh, it was starting to get dark, and I just prayed a little bit, and I, and I looked inside of me to see if there was anybody in that jail cell inside. Because forgiveness has to do with letting people out of jail. Letting people out of jail. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18 says this, says that there was uh, two guys. One guy owed, here's what it literally says in the NIV, the newest translation of the NIV says, there was one man who owed the king uh, 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold. Say it with me, 10,000 bags of gold. So he uh, fell down uh, before the king, and he says, please, please don't sell me into debt. Don't sell me into debtor's prisoner, I'll, prison. I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. He begged the man, and then listen to what happens in the story. Jesus told the story. Jesus, Jesus said the, the king did not say to him, go back. I'm going to give you 30 more years. Pay it as much as you can. Try to get this paid back. He didn't do that. It says the king canceled his debt. The king canceled his debt. And then uh, he went out from meeting with the king, and he ran into a feller, fellow servant who owed him a hundred silver, silver coins. He owed him a hundred silver coins. Not a hundred bags of silver coins, a hundred silver coins. Remember, this guy owed the king 10,000 bags of gold, and his servant, his fellow servant, owed him a hundred silver coins. And it says he grabbed a hold of the man and he choked him and he said, you pay me back. You pay me back right now. And the man said he begged him just like he had begged the king. He begged him and he, he asked the man to forgive him, but the man threw him and his family into jail. See, unforgiveness is like a jail cell. He threw him into jail and then the king found out what he had done and the king put him in jail. So now you got two people in jail. Now here's the thing. You cannot, listen to this, you cannot put another person in prison without imprisoning yourself. You cannot put another person in prison without imprisoning yourself. If you want to be free and liberated today and you want to leave, you know, free and happy, one of the ways to do that is to make sure your jail cell is empty inside. I watch uh, Andy Griffith with my dad and there's a picture of, uh, I think we have a picture of Otis. Uh, every, anybody ever, ever watch uh, Andy Griffith and you got Otis? He's the only guy ever in jail. You know, that jail cell is basically empty all the time. My dad loves this show. I take him out to dinner on Tuesdays and then we go watch, uh, go watch uh, Andy Griffith. It's his Seinfeld, I think. So we watch this and, uh, and, and it's Otis is the only person in jail, but most of the time it's empty. 
And inside of you, is there, in your heart, where you have that jail cell, is there anybody inside there? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love opens the jail cell. Love forgives people. Love is wise. Love doesn't keep putting his hand on the anvil and let his hand, hand get hit by the hammer. You, you distance yourself from, from dysfunctional and dangerous people. But in your heart, you empty the jail cell because love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, my dad, a number of years ago, he had a man in his church that really gave him a really, really hard time that was uh, just, I don't know if he was jealous of my dad's leadership or whatever, but he spread all these rumors about my dad. And my dad had been a pastor for many years, and he just, this man became extremely vindictive and said all this stuff. And it's in my book, uh, I talk about my dad's forgiveness about this. And he, this guy just really, really, uh, you know, gave my dad a hard time. And here's what the Lord said to my dad. My dad was hurt by it. And also my dad had some anger about that because it was just, it made him so angry. And he was praying one day, and the Lord said to my dad, he said, you can be angry against this man, but if you do, you will lose my anointing and my power in your life. Or you can forgive him, and my power and anointing will continue to be with you. Now, my dad, he said he wrestled with that for just a few seconds, and then he said, Lord, I forgive this man. I forgive him. And, and the word forgiveness in the Greek is the word aphemi. It means to let go. It means to open the prison door and let the person out. It means to release someone. So my dad released this man. And here's what happened. My dad invited, my dad's a bowler. He loves to bowl. So he invited my dad, invited this, this guy, this nemesis in his church, invited him on his bowling team. And there was only four of them. So this, this guy who had been so problematic to my dad, my dad now spent time with him every week bowling and loving on him and caring about him. And it wasn't long before the Holy Spirit began to melt that man's heart and his hardness and his cynicism and his bitterness just melted away because of my dad's love toward him. Love keeps no record of wrongs. My dad could have just kind of went through, you know, month after month being mad, being angry, seeing that man sitting in the back and having an attitude. He could have gone through that. He could have kept a record of wrongs. And when he saw this man, he could have, he could have put on his forehead, he could have put the word betrayal, and he could have had it there. But he took the post-it note off my, that man's forehead, and the Lord anointed and helped my dad and did an incredible thing in him wasn't too long ago that uh, my dad was telling me about this man. We were talking about him and how the Lord just changed his heart. And he loves my dad. And he said to my dad, you know, if anything ever happens to me, I want you to be the one that do, does my funeral. I want you to be the one up there eulogizing me and talking about me. So, you know, love keeps no record of wrongs. So when you do that little inventory, the inventory is love keeps no record of wrongs. The inventory is you look inside, you look in the jail cell. And it could be an ex, it could be an ex-spouse that just really didn't treat you right. And doesn't mean that you're saying, oh, what they did was okay. They didn't maybe do anything okay. But you make a decision to let them out of your heart because you cannot imprison another person without imprisoning yourself. Everybody say it with me. Everybody here at uh, Millsboro, everybody at Fenwick Island, if you are watching from Rehoboth, wherever you are, say it with me. You cannot imprison another person without imprisoning yourself. So Matthew chapter 18, 
the angry servant threw the other guy in, in, in jail, and then he got in jail too. So throwing somebody else in jail puts you in jail as well. So that principle of forgiveness is so important for us to think about. So when you think about what God has done for us, how God has extended his grace toward us, how he's forgiven us, here's the thing. God does not ever keep a record of our failures because Jesus has taken our failures on the cross. Jesus has taken our inconsistencies. Jesus has taken our transgressions. Jesus has taken our sins, and he's forgiven us. And if the Lord has forgiven me of my failures, I am called by God to forgive others of their failures as well and to set them free and to liberate them. And what I love about uh, God's forgiveness is he never, he never brings it up again. Let me read a couple of scripture to you about God's uh, his forgiveness of us, uh, of us uh, and how he, he uh, lets us free. Hebrews uh, 8.12. Hebrews 8.12 says this, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. And say that with me. And I will remember their sins no more. God doesn't have, he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He doesn't, he's not thinking about your failures. He's not thinking about your sins. Uh, there's a, a great leader in our community, a man that I love very much that uh, came to me. We talked, uh, he had had a bit of a failure in his life. Uh, uh, he really stumbled in a big way. And he came to see me for counseling, and I talked to him for weeks, and uh, we did counseling and wasn't getting anywhere. He just kept beating himself up, and he had repented of his sin, but he just kept beating himself up. And I said to him one day, I said, you know, you know what the problem is? So the problem that we're having here is your pride. And you have so much pride because you feel like the cross is good enough for everybody else, but it's not good enough for you. Let me tell you something. There's only one way for apostles, for prophets, for new Christians, for people that have been a Christian for 40 years or people that have been a Christian for four minutes. There's only one way for us to be forgiven of our sins, and that is through the cross. And the cross is the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. He took the sacrifice for us. God doesn't forget our sins just because he feels like forgetting our sins. God forgives our sins and forgets our sin because of what Jesus did for us. In the Old Testament, I just got a few more minutes here, but in the Old Testament, there's a thing called the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is when Israel would gather around the, the tabernacle, the tent where God's presence was and where the uh, Holy of Holy was and the Ark of the Covenant was. And they, would, they had two goats. And uh, one goat, they would, they would cast a lot. One goat would be sacrificed. Now, uh, so the cast lot would be the goat on the right. Okay, the goat on the right is the one getting it. So they would lay their hands, the priest would lay their hand, his hands, both of his hands on that goat. He would confess all the sins of the, uh, of the nation of Israel on that goat. Then they would kill that goat and sprinkle his blood in front of the, uh, the Holy of Holies. Then the other goat, they would lay, the priest would lay his hands on that goat and confess all the sins of the uh, Israelites. And then a, it says in the King James, a fit man would take that goat and run out into the wilderness as far as, he as, he, far, as far as he could go and let the goat go because Israel needed to see their sins were being removed from them and taken away. Now, later tradition says, lest that goat would make its way back to camp, that they would take that goat 
and they would throw it off a cliff. Because God took the sin, not only did, not only did God forgive their sins, but he took their sins away from them. So it says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember, say it with me, and will remember their sins no more. One more time, everybody, Fenwick Island, everybody here, uh, for I will forgive their sins and will remember their sins no more. It says in, uh, in Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. God keeps, doesn't remember our sins. He keeps no record of wrongs. He keeps no record of wrongs. One more, Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. Repent then. That means to change your direction. You don't receive forgiveness by continuing to do everything you've been doing wrong. You turn your back. Repentance is turning your back on uh, your, your behavior that's not pleasing to God. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. God wipes out our sins. And one more, Micah 7.19. Micah 7.19. Uh, it says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So when I think about cancel culture, and cancel culture says, too late for you. Too late for you. You made a mistake and it's too late. Your future is done. Your career is done. That punitive attitude, you cannot reap love where you sow so hate and vindictiveness. Uh, you need to respond in, in, the, in, the, in an appropriate and loving way. One more, one more scripture, by the way. Romans 13. Romans 13, uh, Romans 13 uh, says uh, about putting, uh, the, uh, putting on your head uh, burning coals. Where is that? Romans 13? You guys have it back there? Okay. Anyhow, there's a good scripture in Romans 13. We'll get to that later. <laughs> do that next week. It says this. It says, do not repay... Uh, do not repay good, or do not repay evil for good, but repay evil with good. In doing so, you will heap burning coals upon the head of your enemies. Now, I used to read that, and I thought, what does that mean, burning coals on the head of your enemies? I think it's Hebrews, by the way, Hebrews 12. That's why I messed you guys up. Hebrews uh, talks about putting burning coals on a person's head. What does that mean? I think when you return love and kindness to somebody that's been unkind to you, that you can create mental anguish in them. I think that guy that uh, gave my dad such a hard time, and my dad invited him on the bowling team, and my dad just kept loving him, I believe that there was burning coals on his head. He was in mental anguish because of the love and kindness that was expressed toward him. I used to tell this story when I uh, started here years ago. I read this book by uh, Keith Miller called New Wine. And the book uh, had this story in it about this, uh, this priest that used to have all these visions of Jesus. And uh, he would uh, have these visions where the Lord would appear to him in a very distinct way. And so what happened was he went to the bishop, the district, the diocese, the bishop, and he 
said to the bishop, I'm having these visions of Jesus. And the bishop looked at him like he was crazy. But he said to him, he said to this priest, he said, if you ever have a vision of Jesus again, ask him this question, what was the sin of the bishop before he became a bishop? And it wasn't too many weeks later that the bishop walked into his office one day and there was the priest again, this crazy priest, and he had him come in the office, and the bishop was a little nervous, and the bishop said to him, did did Jesus appear to you again? He said, yes, he did. And then the bishop said, did you ask him what I told you to ask him? And the priest said, yes, I did. And then the bishop had a big lump in his throat, and he kind of swaddled, and he said, what did he say? And the priest said, Jesus said, I don't remember I don't remember. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Are you grateful today that the love of God keeps no record of wrongs in your life? How many got some stuff you're glad that are in the sea of forgetfulness? How many are grateful for that? Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now and let the grace of God just spill over you? And as the grace of God spills over you, May the grace of God spill into the lives of people around you. As God is not keeping record of your wrongs, may you not keep record of wrongs of others. Father God, we thank you right now that the Holy Spirit is pouring out his grace on us right now. We're receiving forgiveness. We're receiving the sureness of the forgiveness of God. We are receiving the mercy of God. Your mercies are new every morning. And so, Lord, we celebrate. We pray for a spirit of mercy on our country a spirit of grace on our country, a spirit of love on our, on our country, a spirit of, of not canceling people but canceling our sins against each other. So, God, we pray for your grace and your mercy. And one more thing before we, before we end. Would you just say this with me? Lord, I thank you that all my sins, all my failures, all my iniquities are completely forgiven. Thank you for remembering them no more. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.